Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Anthony Podcast. How you doing, Jimmy? Per usual, I am doing well, but as I was telling you before the pod, getting incredibly busy in work right now. It's really crunch time here at Arcadian, so excited I was able to break away and, and record a pod, but I know come tomorrow, come Thursday, we're going to be back to the grindstone, so a good reprieve talking about sports here. Oh yeah, definitely. A lot going on, and I just moved into a new apartment, so this is my brand new place right behind me. Uh, nothing decorated behind me. Don't even have like the classic, just like couple things up on the walls. Uh, I have a new couch arriving tomorrow, so that's the extent of the excitement going on down here in Houston. But uh, my good friend, probably the biggest Chiefs fan that I know, is also joining us on the pod today. Jake Zod is joining us today. You want to introduce yourself briefly, Jake? Hey everyone, I'm Jake Zahn. Uh, as Luke said, I'm one of his good friends from child, uh, from our childhood. So excited for him to have me on tonight. Yeah, talk a little bit of Chiefs. I'm always down to do that. Talk some draft, March Madness, stuff like that. So excited to be on here tonight. Dude, I could have sworn we had you on like months ago or like I had offered it up to you and you were just like, I'm too busy with med school stuff because you're doing all your brainy, smart people no, shit. Going on I think, I think it was one of those... Uh, uh, Kind of like you made it sound like you were going to invite me on kind of like a pity thing, but then never really did it. So, but here we are. It wasn't out of pity. I just didn't want you to have a wet dream on camera about Jamal Charles, you know, like that's just a dangerous yeah. proposition right there. So Imagine him with Pat Mahomes. Yeah. You got your Texas thing going on in the back. Oh, I will interject here. Even as a Patriots fan, I would be jacked if we talked about, um, oh my God. Jamal Charles. Thank you. Like, wow, that was a brain fart. But yes, Jamal Charles, that did was electrifying. Dude, we could talk about his Hall of Fame candidacy all day long. I think he has a really great chance next year, starting next year. But a lot of other things going on in the NFL right now. One of the biggest pieces of news that happened this week was the news about DeAndre Hopkins, who all offseason long we figured would be going for maybe a late first round pick or a second round pick on the trade market. But there's rumors now that he is going to get dropped instead. So what do you all think of this news and what do you think his real value is? Uh, Jake, I'll let you take this one first. Yeah, so like obviously I have a bit interest in this because there was a lot of rumors linking him to the Chiefs originally. And everything that I had heard up until like last week or so was, okay, the Cardinals are looking for like a second round pick. They're not really willing to budge, but a lot of other teams think he's worth like maybe a mid, like late day two, early day three pick, which I think would be fine because you have to take on, I think, two years of his salary. I think he's averaging about 17 uh, per year for the next two years with that salary. So like it's not – it's not insignificant, but at the same time, you're getting a guy that paired with a, any good quarterback and a competent play caller. Like he's a top 10 wide receiver at worst. So it, it was really interesting from that point of view. But yeah, hearing that it sounds like a lot of teams aren't interested in putting up uh, a trade or like a, a draft pick for that. So yeah, the news that he's going to be released is really makes things interesting, especially for some of these teams like the Chiefs right now who are kind of up against the cap and really would have had to make it make it work with his cap hit so now they could kind of concoct something up so i think it makes things a lot more interesting and gives him a lot of power where he wants to go with they do end up releasing him what do you think james yeah i would say i can't believe no one was willing to do a third or i can't believe that the cardinals were willing to forego a third or a fourth to just go ahead and drop him they don't seem like a well enough run organization to be like hey we're gonna do right by d hop like they really are in full rebuild where no matter what they're trying to get picks so this doesn't feel like a tip of the cap from the GM type thing. It really just feels like, wow, we fumbled the bag here. We just have to cut this guy because we're not going to get a second rounder for him, which is bizarre. Uh, from the Patriots side, I don't like. I love the idea of having 27-year-old DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know if I love the idea of having 32-year-old DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, he's had some knee issues. He always has foot issues. Like He's a, he's a hell of a player when he's healthy, but... You know, what good does it do if you have six great weeks out of D-Hop if he's not there for the playoffs? So, like, I, I get not going for him, even though we're devoid of talent at receiver. Um, and I, I assume that's probably most GMs are just like, screw it, we'll wait until they drop him and, and see if he wants to come here for some kind of vet men or, like, a, a very incentive-laden contract. But you don't get that when you trade for what his current contract is. Yeah, I'm just kind of shocked because we've been talking about all offseason long just how devoid of talent the entire league is, not just the Patriots, but everybody. So you'd think that a premier wide receiver like this who's on the market seemingly going for pretty cheap would be in high demand. Like we just saw last offseason, 
Amari Cooper go for what was it like a fifth or a sixth? And then he put up a top 10, maybe top 15, however you want to shake it out season for the Cleveland Browns this year. So I figured teams would learn their lesson a little bit and go after the veteran guy. And if we were at this point last year, or I guess more like August timeframe, whenever DeAndre Hopkins just got suspended for PEDs, he's going to be out for a while. We didn't really know how he was going to bounce back. I could definitely see, oh, maybe we don't give up a third round pick or a fourth round pick. That's some premier draft positioning right there. But at this point where we saw DeAndre Hopkins still have great games last year, he's putting up big, uh, big games with Kyler Murray, who was kind of hampered last year. He's put up big games with David Blau, who shit. I saw him on the Lions. I know he's bad. I, I, I can't believe nobody wants DeAndre Hopkins in this current climate. And like, it should be your guys' teams, the Patriots, the Chiefs, uh, the, the Ravens should be going after him. And so it kind of shocks me that nobody wants him at this point. I still feel like he has a little bit of tread on the tires. So definitely a weird story there. Another uh, story going on right now is the whole Odell sweepstakes that's been happening for seemingly forever now, ever since he had that great Super Bowl game with the Rams. So we're at the point where his free agency is winding down. We don't really know what kind of deal he's going to get. It's looking like maybe it might just be a one-year deal. So the question I have for you all, would you ever have DeAndre Hopkins or Odell Beckham at this point? Zon, you want to start us off? Oh, that's a tough one. Because, um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, they're, <clears throat> for both of them, there's injury concerns. I mean, Odell's torn the same ACL twice now. Like, it makes you nervous. And DeAndre hasn't really put together a full season, whether it's suspension or injury in a, in a minute. I guess it kind of depends on whether D-Hop's released. If he's straight up released, I think I'd rather have him. Um, just the Odell situation is really weird because – Originally, it was like, oh, he's asking for like $20 million a year, and that that's just insane. And then he comes out and says, well, I wasn't I wasn't asking for that. It was just disrespectful that some team offered offered me $4 million. And it kind of makes you wonder who it was. But And then recently, it's been about like $15 million is his asking price. And like that's just too steep for a guy coming off a major injury, especially in the same knee. Like it raises your risk of tearing it again. I just – I'd be really nervous to give him any significant money. I think from the Chiefs' point of view, I'd be interested in doing like what they did with Juju last year, giving a pretty low base salary, but then a bunch of incentives. And if he meets them, then great. Like, obviously, that's helping the team. So you're willing to pay that probably the next year. But I think, you know, everything the same, both available in free agency, I think I'd take T-Hop. Yeah, you know, for a lot of the same reasons you're saying, like, Everything, everything logical to me is saying Hopkins, but I, I feel like you can get a better value out of Odell right now. And he has had a full a, a full calendar year to recover that need to where I don't think it's as big of an issue. And maybe this is just because I'm putting my Patriots head on. Like he just fits a need that we have not ever filled. It feels like since I've been a fan of this team other than like Randy Moss. So just to have that big play guy, a little bit speedier, right? Hopkins is really the jump ball catcher, which, you know, that physicality kind of goes into why he's always injured. Odell's just had some horrendous injury luck when it comes to just landing in a wrong position. I, I think he has maybe a better chance at longevity. And, and I think if he could get a one or two year deal, you know, eight to $10 million for Odell, I, I think it's worth taking that chance because if you get even 75% of the production of, of his prior days or even just what he was doing as a Ram, I, I think you would be all over that. Yeah, we're kind of split here. So, yeah, Odell definitely has the pedigree. He has the playoff performances recently. They're actually the same age, which I never realized. They're both 30 years old as of today. Hmm. What's kind of interesting, too, is like the dollar amounts that we're going to see. Like DeAndre ends up getting cut, like Zahn is saying, then, oh, it's a great price point. He's only probably going to go for a few million dollars. Whereas Odell, it feels like he's just staving off for the biggest deal he can possibly get. Plus, you have all the extra drama. You kind of got that LeVar ball going on where you have to deal with Odell's dad and a bunch of other just drama at all times. So I think I'm on DeAndre's side here just ever so slightly, just because I think that he has a little bit more left in the tank. He's actually made a Pro Bowl in the last couple of years. I hadn't realized this, but the last time Odell Beckham Jr. made a Pro Jake and I were in high school, which is just kind of crazy to think about. That was 2016. So I think I have a little bit more faith in DeAndre Hopkins, which as going into last season, like I said, I kind of thought that Hopkins might be done at that point, maybe have an AJ Green like Cliff at the end of his career. But he really showed out towards the end of last year and maybe have a lot of faith in him. So it'll be interesting. I can't believe neither of these guys have been put onto new teams yet, given how little talent there is 
and the NFL free agency and also just kind of how generally the top of the draft is shaking out with not a ton of elite talent at the very, very top of the NFL draft. It's a bit of a shock to me. James, I can't believe you're holding back tears all this time. There's been a lot of rumors going coming out, especially today, about your quarterback, Mac Jones, and his future state with the New England Patriots. How are you doing? How do you feel about these rumors? And do you think there's any validity to them? I do not think there's validity. Um, it, this is definitely just peak off-season hot takes. Like None of the reporters coming out with these are incredible patriots reporters it's just dudes sitting around twitter before their blue check mark goes away trying to act like they know what the hell they're talking about uh i'm not worried you know and at the end of the day if belichick just believes in zappy then i guess we're gonna roll with a different white boy like it just is what it is i mean i I don't know like what's the point of sitting here and like worrying over it and also i don't know what max trade value even would really be so like i think we just kind of have to ride out having a good rookie deal and and trying to live off the fact that, again, we had no offensive coordinator last year, so I don't know why we're just, like, roasting a, a sophomore quarterback. Yeah, Zon, your team has played against the Patriots so many times over the last decade, a lot of big playoff games. Do you think we're still at the point where it's always, we trust Bill Belichick no matter what with these types of negotiations, or do you think he's lost his touch a little bit? Yeah, like, yeah, I obviously can't speak for James from an inside perspective, but from an outside perspective, I think, some of the discourse is like, is Bill as great as we thought he was? I mean, just because Tom Brady, the first year he leaves, he goes and wins the Super Bowl, and he had a great team around him. But it, it kind of makes people around the league talk. And I know I've heard plenty of fans say, like, is Bill Belichick as good as we think he is? I think I think he's a great coach, don't get me wrong. But I don't know. The The situation kind of makes me question it. And again, like I don't know how credible these sources are, but even just watching last season – the little kind of flip-flopping between Zappi and Mac Jones in some of those games was just interesting to me. Um, I didn't, sometimes didn't feel like they had a direction and I still don't really know if they do. Maybe they do. I just obviously am not as invested in the Patriots, but it is kind of interesting. It makes me at least, I think this could be an important year for Bill Belichick. I think that's a good way to put it. And, you know, he could very well go out and prove everybody wrong, but I'm interested to see how it plays out. We're obviously big fans of Max on this pod. Mac Jones was drafted 15th overall just two years ago, has a lot left in the tank. James, what would be the minimum you would be willing to get in order to trade away Mac Jones? What what kind of deal do you think that would look like? And which teams do you think should be offering that? I mean, I, I feel like half the teams that would need it are going to be in the AFC Right, like the teams that would be desperate enough to do that, and it's like you're not going to trade them inside the conference. Like, I guess there is a devoid of talent on the NFC side, but like, I just don't see where it would make sense, and I don't see where it would like for either team, right? Like the Patriots, okay, you're giving up a first round quarterback, you're probably going to want at least a first rounder back, but no one's going to give up a first rounder for Mac after last year because you know they're just not sure. There's, you know, even though I'd say they're baseless claims that. You know, it's not like the world's most intelligent people are doing this. Like they can fall for some of the same pitfalls as, as anyone else kind of analyzing what's going on. So you're, you're not going to get any kind of King's ransom package, even if it's, you know, just a first or a, like a second, third or a first and a third, like some kind of weird package like that. Um, the, the teams that would make the most sense for would be like the Jets, but the Jets and Patriots aren't going to swap quarterbacks like that would make no sense. Um you know, the, the Niners quarterback situation is really weird, but I'm sure they had to have some level of trust in, in uh, Trey Lance, right? Like, it doesn't sound like Purdy is going to be playing at least the first month of the season with that elbow injury. So, like, I guess that could make sense. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, like, it, there's just a lot of head scratching going on. I guess maybe the Lions, if they really want to try to try something different. But I feel like golf played well enough that you don't need to shake it up that much. So, um, yeah, I think it's just going to be Mac battling with Zappy for a starting job. And I, I think, I think Mac wins it, but if not, it just means that Zappy's balling out. Yeah. I like your 49ers call. Cause original rumor after they traded up to third overall and ended up selecting Lance was that they wanted Mac Jones there initially. And it kind of felt like they gave into peer pressure, public opinion, and didn't go after Mac Jones instead went after Trey Lance, the more popular pick at the time. So it'd be interesting if he ended up having that reuniting with Kyle Shanahan and just got to see what his true ceiling could be and a really, really good offense. Cause 
as we've talked about all off season long, the biggest Mac, uh, the biggest knock on Mac isn't necessarily that Mac has been bad. It's just the coaching has been really bad. You have a quarterback coach that is a special teams coordinator and you have an office coordinator who's a defensive coach. Like it doesn't make any sense. So I really hope they run it back just for uh, the sake of like getting consistency, getting some sort of consensus from Mac Jones on if he's a franchise quarterback or not. I think that has to be a goal of a franchise no matter what you're doing. So uh, one team that doesn't necessarily need to be worrying about a quarterback right now is your team, Zod. The Chiefs, they are set in stone at quarterback, and they will not be in the Mac Jones sweepstakes. I was curious, though, with all the offseason moves that they've been making, and they've been very, very busy after winning the Super Bowl, what grade would you give the Chiefs for their offseason moves thus far? <clears throat> that's a that's an interesting question. I would say just gut feeling probably B-ish. Um, they lost a good amount, not a good amount, but some starters from their team. Um, guys like Juan Bornhill, McCall Hardman, homegrown guys who were never stars necessarily, but definitely played some big roles at certain points on the team. So they lost some guys who played some important roles on the team, but then they also brought in some guys. And I, obviously I think the big one that everybody talks about is switching between, uh, losing Orlando Brown Jr. And then bringing in Juwan Taylor. And I, I kind of prefer it. Maybe it's just myself trying to convince convince myself that it's a it's a good move but the money that taylor's getting is a little bit higher than i would have liked obviously it's more than brown's getting but a lot of the stats kind of point to taylor being more effective in the chief scheme specifically i think orlando brown landed in a good place in cincinnati for him and i think taylor's in a better situation here compared to brown with the chiefs so i like that signing they've talked about moving him over to left tackle i I could see it. I mean, obviously left tackle is still more important than right um, in today's NFL, but so I'm, I'm happy with that move overall. And then I think the other big one was just bringing in some defensive replacements. So they brought in like Mike Edwards from the bucks, who is like a good third safety, which they lost in Juan Thornhill. They brought in Drew Tranquil who can kind of be like a three down linebacker can even stay on the field in like diamond nickel situations. So that was really helpful. And then, but I think the biggest thing is Brett Beach normally doesn't like to go into drafts having a specific hole in something. I mean, everybody remembers back against the Buccaneers after that Super Bowl. They just blew up the offensive line and said, all right, screw it. We're not doing this again. And went into the draft pretty much with their offensive line already set. So normally that's the case. But this year, it feels like they really need a wide receiver. I mean, they lost Juju. He was their leading receiver from a wide receiver perspective obviously Travis Kelsey is always going to be your number one but they don't have a number one wide receiver right now you can't trust Kadarius Tony to stay healthy Sky Moore has a good upside but he didn't show a lot I don't think he earned any reads trust last year and then Marquez Valdez Scantling has a good game like every five games and looks like prime Randy Moss and then the rest of them he looks looks like John Ross out there so <laughs> I think that's that's just my biggest concern. And if they address that in the first or even second round of the draft, I'm I'm completely fine with it because I don't really think they have any big holes beyond that. But it makes me a little nervous not having a true wide receiver one right now. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me read you some of the depth pieces that the Chiefs have at wide receiver right now as well. You just mentioned all the starters, but the rest of this reads out as like a like a doesn't even sound like real people. It's just like fake made up ad lib kind of thing. We have Cornell Powell. We have Amir Smith Marsetti. Uh, we have Ty Freifogel and Jerion Ely. Like, th- this sounds like people that like Will Smith would be making up in a comedy skit or something. Like, I don't even know what's happening with some of these backup players. Mm-hmm. I, you ca- I couldn't tell you where any of these guys went to college. So, yeah. J- James, what do you think of this like wide receiver core and this strategy of the Chiefs to just kind of say fuck it to wide receiver at all times? I, I don't think that's inherently what they're doing. I'm going to assume that they feel pretty good about going like second or third round uh, receiver this year. And and it's a lot like the Patriots of old where it's like, dude, we have the best quarterback. So why would we like Mahomes can throw it to anybody with a pulse that's open. So we're not too worried. Like he's going to scramble around, give these guys five seconds to get some amount of separation and huck it down there. So I, I think they're just going to keep pounding it to Kelsey utilizing like a random Jarek McKinnon type signing at running back for dump offs and then just find speedy guys that can really stretch out a defense. And and I think they'll be okay. 
What do you think of that, Zod? Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. Um, it, that's like I think back to the second half of the AFC Championship game against the Bengals. I mean, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling was your wide receiver one. Pretty much every other wide receiver was hurt. And the two other wide receivers on the field were Sky Moore, who, again, hasn't earned Andy's trust. And then a guy named Marcus Kemp, who has been a special teamer his whole career. He was even on the street like a couple months before that. So that does give me some confidence. And like like James said, like Mahomes can throw it to anybody if he has to. I prefer he has better weapons. But at the same time, you have Travis Kelsey, you have a great offensive line, and you have the best quarterback in the league. Like it's hard to complain. Yeah, the the fourth wide receivers in Kansas City are always legendary. Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, all those guys. So so much fun. They're, they're just gonna run three tight end sets next year. They've got like what Fortson and the like number eighty four or whatever dude. That is, you always like see a tight end make a catch and you get jacked if you have Kelsey on your team. You're like, wait a second, who the hell is eighty four? Why guy. is he stealing yeah. my points? <laughs> well, you yeah. got the bell dozer there as well. You can't forget yeah, about him. Bell back. Still got Noah Gray. And then, uh, yeah, Justin Watson was the – he was like almost hybrid wide receiver tight end last year. He, he had a lot of those big catches where you thought it was Kelsey, and then you're like, oh, it's the other guy. Yeah, and I think the the biggest luxury that the Chiefs have right now is that they're able to go and spend a lot of money on this offense right now because you just mentioned some of the defensive replacements that you all had, and I was expecting to look at the depth chart and be like, ah, there's kind of a dearth of talent going on, but there's really not because of how well you all drafted last year. Yeah all across the entire NFL draft rounds one through seven, like in even the year before like guys like Nick Bolton, et cetera, but hitting on Legereus Sneed was so huge. Hitting on Trent McDuffie was so huge. I love George Karloftis. Like, I think a lot of these guys are going to be able to replace some of this outgoing talent that you have like Frank Clark, for example, or Carlos Dunlap. Like I think there's very logical replacements that you have going on here. And, I wouldn't be shocked if the Chiefs are able to run it back if they're able to also maybe fill in a couple more depth pieces in the draft, like James was saying, with the second or third round receiver. So a lot of exciting things going on with the Kansas City Chiefs. And they, they, I hate to say it, James, but they really feel like the new age New England Patriots. So they just always have that next man up mentality going on. So it's exciting stuff. Shifting it's gears. amazing what happens when you have a generational quarterback <laughs> at the home. Like it, it, it just Pretty like nice. things kind of fall into place. Fills a lot of holes, fills a lot of holes. Shifting gears a little bit, we've seen the first week of baseball going on this week. Zon, I know you love baseball, played all growing up. Whether that was by choice or Larry forcing you, nobody will really ever know. But hey, you did it and you played it. A lot of great uh, baseball going on right now. A lot of new rules also happening with the the changes in the pitch clock and the changes in the shift, bigger bases, etc. Are you a fan of all the changes or do you think it kind of messes with the spirit of the game? I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence for some of them. I hear some of like the old boomers talking about, you know, complaining about all these rules and how they should just keep baseball the same way it always was. But I definitely don't like the banning of the shift. Um, I just, I think it's like def- saying you can't have a certain formation at, or like not a certain formation, but like a certain cover scheme in football. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. That's how you play defense against certain guys. It, the owner should be on the hitter who, if he always pulls it and you want to shift that way, make him hit it the opposite field. So I don't really like that one. I haven't watched any of the games with the pitch clock yet. I've just seen highlights and obviously all the highlights are just of the issues that people are having with the pitch clocks. But I, I don't think I mind it. I mean, I watch the Cardinals just because they're my favorite team. But other than that, I don't really go out of my way to watch baseball just because most of the time it's a slow, slower paced, sometimes boring game. So I don't mind the idea of speeding it up. I haven't been able to watch the finished product with that, but I I think it's a good idea on paper. I haven't actually been able to see whether or not it works out or not, but I I like it on paper. Yeah, the the stats that we've been seeing right now, the games are about 40 minutes per game faster. We're only having about one error per game, like one, like, I don't know, pitch clock running out and then the, the, it goes to a one zero count. We've only had about one of those per game. Um, We've seen a ton more steal attempts and a much higher percentage of those steal attempts actually come to fruition where in the past, like guys would be getting picked off and everything. Do we know if that's actually because of the, the new rules or because Yachty's out of the league? Nobody will really ever know. And I I've just enjoyed the baseball just in general, like a faster game makes it more exciting. There's a lot more runs being scored um, I, I also agree with you that I think that the worst rule that they changed was the shift getting banned. It definitely helps a couple of hitters. Like I'm thinking here in Texas, we have Corey Seager on the Rangers and he is terrible 
whenever uh, ha- whenever a shift is going on. But whenever there isn't a shift going on, he's fantastic and is a top tier player. So I think it's kind of just like hand holding for a lot of batters. And I, I don't really appreciate that aspect of it. But I think all the other rules have really had that desired effect, especially kind of getting rid of some of the money ballization of baseball as well and just making it less of a numbers game and more of just like a feel fun game which i think baseball is really supposed to be all about because sometimes it can lead a little too much into the analytics which i know james hates to a degree (laughs) yeah i mean i'm with you guys i i like for the most part the new rules i haven't been to a game yet this year but the thought of it being an hour shorter is definitely pretty exciting like the game of baseball just for too long has dragged on Games back in the 1900 or not 1900, like early 1900s were like two hours at most. And the, the, the time just kept creeping up and up and up. And it's like, I mean, it's just absurd to be at a ballpark for that long. Like you just can't keep people's attention for that long. And it, it makes the, the game itself harder to grow because people don't want to go to four hour baseball games. You don't really have clippable, you know, TikTokable type plays, which is kind of what you need. Like the NBA has shown that's the way you grow your league is you have to have that 10 second bite that really gets people excited for what's going on, which is why I'm okay with the shift being gone as well. Because when you have five players on the right side of the field for a lefty hitting, like you're not going to get sweet highlight, you know, Derek Jeter type diving shortstop plays because there's a guy standing at every possible spot the ball could ever be. Uh, And I I just think baseball needed it to to grow and and I'm okay with these rules. Yeah. I got to modernize at some point. So, but James, the people are all wanting to know what is your latest uh, update on your wiffle ball tournament that you've been doing the tournament <laughs> yeah, the, we, the, the league we you've had been a, doing yeah we had opening week last week uh same time as baseball uh mambas my my team got off with a win it, it was tough the, the wind was brutal out there so you know throwing a wiffle ball in 20 mile per hour winds is not ideal uh but you know once once i found my rhythm we we got it rolling one four to two over the defending champion bombers so it's an exciting week i've got a couple weeks off now because uh we're waiting on one of our guys to get back. So like the first week, every team plays. And after that, it's all double headers. So it, you're able to kind of fit the schedule to meet people's vacation needs and things like that. Um, so we've got a couple of weeks here to, to keep refining and then get back out there. Yeah. We got regular Cy Young on our hands. So for the rest of the pod, we're going to be looking at March madness, just doing a little update there. We're going to be hitting a mock draft for the top 12 picks where we're each going to take a position in the draft. And then I have a mystery game for the three of us to play where I play host and the other two are going to be making guesses. Really excited about that. All right, Zon. So how's your bracket looked in March madness thus far? And what did you think of your team's performance in the tournament? Yeah, all the brackets went down the drain pretty quickly. Um, I think like most people had one and two seats winning most of the time. And so obviously all the one seats disappointed pretty heavily. And then the best two seed was my team, Texas. And I never picked them because they always seemed to disappoint me in March Madness or any major sport for that matter. So I was just kind of try to keep my expectations low for them and let them uh, pleasantly surprise me. And this year they pleasantly surprised me, but that was to the detriment of my bracket. So um, I think I had one bracket after like the second round that was maybe top 10% or so, but even that one went down after, after the third round. So it didn't go very well for me, but as for Texas, I was, I was kind of happy with being in the elite eight, but they obviously had an epic meltdown there and should have probably been in the final four and maybe even farther. So a little disappointing, but hard to complain with an elite eight appearance. Yeah, definitely a tough game. I, I didn't even watch the last 10 minutes of that Miami-Texas game. I, I'd been watching basketball all day because Creighton and uh, San Diego State played earlier that day. I was so disappointed, so mad. I went on like a rage walk, a depression walk right after that. And I was like, yeah, Texas has this it's in the bag. You're up 12 with 12 minutes left, like guaranteed win right here. Miami hadn't done shit all game long. And then all of a sudden they stormed back and Texas didn't make a shot the rest of the game seemingly. So definitely a weird performance, definitely encouraging given all the drama that Texas had going down all year long. They definitely had that nobody believes in us mentality going into the tournament. It really paid off for them. So an interesting tournament all the way around. James, what did you think of this national championship game that we just saw between UConn and San Diego State? And what did you think of this UConn Huskies team? So the, I don't know for sure with stats. So you, you might already have it in the back of your head, but this had to have been at least a top five most dominant performance out of a team in the in March Madness, right? Like their closest game was in the final four and it was 12 points, 13 points. Like... They, I mean, they just mowed through every little bit of competition that, that got in their way. 
uh, to Jake's point, I think Texas maybe would have gave them their biggest or maybe best run possible. But even then, it, it looked like anyone in the way of that UConn team was, was just going to get run over by a bus. Um, so, I mean, just you got to say hats off to UConn. I mean, that's what they're like fifth national championship, like between men's and women's, that's got to be like the most dominant basketball school, at least in recent memory. Yeah. UConn more like sock on sock on these nuts. That's what they said to all their opponents all tournament long. I, it doesn't really feel like they have any paths to like falling off, but it feels like every single time UConn gets good again, they just end up finding a way. So since 1999, they've now won five national championships, but they've also missed the tournament five plus times. They've also not gotten out of the first round five plus times. And it's like, can you just, pick a lane can you either be like super good or super bad like they replaced their coach twice they've now had to move conferences against their will basically twice like i i uconn is the most bipolar team i've ever seen in sports when it ever comes to basketball at least and i saw some people arguing on twitter like ah uconn it's not that weird like teams do this all the time look at kentucky duke etc i'm like yeah they, they maybe missed the tournament one year out of like every like six years but three or four years ago UConn was below 500. Like that doesn't just happen to all these other blue bloods. So I, I don't know what's in the water in UConn. I, maybe it was just changing of the logo from the, the not a Husky, whatever that was. I think it was a Samoyed. I don't even think it was a Husky to a real Husky really made the difference here, but a really exciting team through and through. And I, I love all the talent that they have. Jordan Hawkins, Sonogo, et cetera. Super fun team. So great tournament all the way around. I don't know if you all saw the 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 drama with uh, the women's side of the bracket, though. We saw Iowa versus LSU in the national championship, and we had a controversial ending at the end between Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese. I was curious from your guys' perspective, both primetime athletes, very competitive people. What do you all think of all the smack talk that went down there at the end? I mean, I think that's just kind of what happens in competitive sports. Anyone that is complaining about Angel Reese smack talking and not Caitlin Clark smack talking in the in the final four is potentially being racist or you know just being kind of having like revisionist history and, and not realizing that literally probably every single girl in that tournament talked shit at one point unless they were just getting dominated from the first tip off in the first round. But like that that's just what happens. It's it's sports. What do you think, Zon? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I didn't understand the people who had no problem with Caitlin Clark doing it and then holding their purses right after with Angel Reese doing it. I don't think either one was out of line. I think if that's what we want to get upset about in the national championship game for one of the best women's college basketball games ever, that's we're in the wrong place. And if we want to get upset with anything, get upset with Kim Mulkey for like assaulting the ref on the sideline after after a play like that kind of got brushed over pretty quickly with all this whole storyline. So I thought it was a little disappointing that that's kind of the takeaway a lot of people are going to have from a, a great game and a great NCAA tournament. And I just, I don't really see how we're going to keep this going. I, I don't see it being that big a deal. I think that that happens every day in sports. I mean, yeah, I'm with no. you on this one, Jake, because like the stat lines that those two girls put up for the entire tournament were just unreal. It's like one, both of them earned every right to talk shit. And two, like we should just talk about the fact that Caitlin Clark almost put up 40 points for an entire March Madness. And Angel Reese was grabbing 15 boards, just a classic prime Charles Barkley out there. You know, I mean, like, that was just really great basketball. Yeah, great call on Kim Mulkey. She fucking sucks. I hate that woman. Everyone here in Texas thinks she's a, a goddess because she was at Baylor prior to being at LSU and she won a lot. I don't care about that. She basically gave the ref the the Desmond Howard stiff arm and nothing happened. And I couldn't believe that didn't end up getting called. And yeah, I thought this is a big nothing burger as well. I, whenever you have someone who's a smack talker and then another person is able to smack talk to that smack talker, some of the coolest stuff we've ever seen in sports. It reminds me a lot of like Antoine Woodfield Jr. giving Tyreek Hill the peace side of the Super Bowl. Like I thought that was badass and I think this is badass as well. So everyone needs to shut up all the way around all right we are moving to nfl mock draft time this is one of my favorite things to do all year and i've not done a single one all season long the format for this is one we're doing what we think the team should do so zon is first on the board here he thinks he's going to pick who he thinks the carolina panthers should take at first overall that's the first piece here and secondly we're just kind of going round robin with this so zon's going to have the first pick the fourth pick and we're going to go all the way down until the 12th overall pick 
And then we're calling it there because I feel like after that, there's a big teardrop and you can kind of pick whoever you want at that point. It's going to be wrong no matter what. So we'll see how many of these we get right. And it'll be kind of fun to look back on. So Zahn, you are on the clock with the first overall pick. Who do you think the Carolina Panthers select? I think it's the one that everybody's talking about. It's a cheap answer, but I think it's DJ Stroud. Um, they've got a great defense, a young defense who can help keep you in the game or even sometimes win you games. So you don't need a guy like um, uh, Richardson to come in there and try to be Superman right away or even in a couple years. Like that's not the guy that that team needs. They need a guy who can come in there and be consistent, make efficient and effective reads of the field, go through his progressions correctly. And I think that's CJ Stroud. I mean, Bryce Young is also a great prospect, but what you see from Stroud at Ohio State just really seems to work well with the Panthers, a team that's got a young core. Yeah, they trade away DJ Moore. That kind of makes things difficult. But I think they have a good defense. They've got a good coaching staff now. I think I, I just think CJ Stroud's the answer. Wait, do you not like Matt Rule? Is that what you're telling me? You didn't like him in Carolina? No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> a fan of him now, Mr. Nebraska. I have to be, yeah. I, I fully agree with you. James, we're really good at picking guests. We pick guests that no ball. We are all team CJ Stroud over Bryce Young. No offense to Bryce Young, but if you had to put a gun to our head and we had to choose one, we're also going Stroud. So that gives James kind of a tough choice here. He no longer has the prodigal son. He no longer has CJ Stroud to pick from. Number two overall, James, who are you going with the Houston Texans here? Yeah, I think this is just kind of the, the consensus number one overall until CJ had an awesome season. Uh, I think the Texans are going to lose the number one overall pick, but still get the guy they wanted anyway. So it's kind of no harm, no foul with that loss, but they're going to grab Bryce Young at two. They, they need the replacement to Deshaun. Uh, he kind of seems to really fill that spot. He, if he was two inches taller, he'd be the consensus number one, but he's 5'10". So it, it's kind of like that's your, your only knock on him, really. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the Texans are an enviable position. Uh, enviable. Wow position here because they can kind of pick whoever doesn't get picked at first overall and then they don't have anybody mad at them because they just took whoever was available so i think bryce is super strong there i'm kind of in a tough position here third overall with the arizona cardinals don't need a quarterback i'm not doing a trade here necessarily i i know from experience that the Lions having a third overall pick it can be really tough to trade down from this position you kind of just have to pick whoever best fits your team and whoever best player available at the same time so with this pick i think it's fairly obvious and i'm going to go will anderson jr linebacker out of bama fits a lot of what they're trying to do I'm not really 100% if they're even going to sign Isaiah Simmons back. And so he'll be able to kind of fit that pass rusher role. Simmons, last I saw him, was playing slot corner for some reason. I I don't think the coaching staff there really knew what they were doing with him. And uh, I think Anderson is just a world beater, a a true Miles Garrett kind of level prospect at edge rusher. And happy to get probably the best player in the draft at third overall here. Hey, Zahn, you are on the board, fourth overall. For the Colts. The Colts. You know, this is one where I think it's interesting. I think I have a difference of opinion what they should do and what they might do. Um, I actually, well, I guess I've heard differing opinions of what the Colts might do. Obviously, they might trade up to three just to make sure they get their quarterback if they need it. But if they stay at four, I mean, they, they need a quarterback. I think it's pretty apparent. Kind of the same thing with the Panthers. I don't think their defense is as strong, but they've got a good defense. Um, they've got a really good, I think, new play caller with uh, Shane Steichen coming in from the Eagles. So he really knows how to call a good offense, especially with a guy like Jonathan Taylor. That really opens up the offense. So I think I think I would go with Anthony Richardson here. Um, I would probably be between Levis and Richardson. I just think Richardson has these traits that Steichen can really use. Um, I think he's more raw than Jalen Hurts, but I think he brings a lot of the same things to the table. Uh, he can use his athleticism and a bunch of RPOs and things like that and just hope and use your use your guys to help develop him in the passing game i think that could make him into a really dangerous team if he does develop but who knows if he does but i think you take that risk yeah, yeah. we love anthony richardson on this pod i i don't know i think you love anthony richardson I've, i'm so so on him but uh, i think he's gonna get drafted pretty high I, I think you you mentioned one thing of you know the risk the reward etc you know you're you're able to just take like team changing players here I think the Seahawks have uh, one hell of a culture and, and they're willing to take what are, you know, kind of seen as risky players. 
I don't think this guy is risky, but he's had some things come out since the season that have made people really start to question how far he may fall. I don't think he falls out of the top five. I think if he's available, the Seahawks are grabbing Jalen Carter. I mean, they've dealt with big personalities before. Pete Carroll is a strong coach. They've got a good team culture there. They can handle having a guy that has just been, you know, making a couple boneheaded decisions as a 23-year-old, but like that kind of happens. You're 23. Like it it just is what it is. I I think they're feeling okay and they're going to grab a generational talent in Jalen Carter. Yeah, he's kind of been falling a little bit. If you're looking at like the average mock draft, it feels like he's kind of probably go somewhere between five and 10. So you're right at the higher end of that right now, which I think is apt. Like Jalen Carter is just a freak, freak player, very Ndamukong Sue-like and uh, being at Georgia and everything. So I, I'm really excited for his future, even with all the off the field stuff. Six overall, I got the Lions pick here. Did I do that on purpose? Maybe. It was a random number generator. Nobody will ever know. I'm in a kind of a tough position here, in my opinion, just because I think this is where the tier break really hits. There's a true top five, and then after that, it's like, eh. Um, a lot of people maybe want Will Levis here. I'd kill myself if we chose Will Levis at six. Uh, the guy that I'm going to go with here is a corner, Devin Witherspoon from... James's Illini. I think Witherspoon is the best corner in this draft. He's a little bit on the older side being a senior, but I think he has all the tools, all the physicality, and the Lions just need good defenders. We have good players all across the offense, but no good defenders. Really need defenders at all three levels, so I'm just going at the spot where it feels like we don't really have any of the young prospects, like if Okuda doesn't end up getting resigned or at least his option picked up. And we have a lot of older guys that we picked up in free agency, but who knows how long those guys will stick around. So I like taking the high, high upside prospect of Witherspoon here. I also love the fact that you're just ignoring the fact Aiden Hutchinson finished second in defensive rookie of the year voting, acting like there's no good talented players on your defense. Trash overrated. We don't like Aiden Hutchinson. <laughs> Gosh. Dude, I still need to make that video. Tracking all of his sacks and like how trash they are. They're half sacks or the quarterback ran right to him. Not talented. Anyway. Next up, we got Zahn with the Raiders. Ooh, I could really make Mason mad here. Um, <laughs> I, the Raiders are in a weird position because like getting to watch them play the Chiefs twice a year, there's so many holes on that team. Like their their defense compared to the other two teams I picked for is is very bad, so you could go any of those premier players on defense. They need a quarterback because I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is getting it done. I mean, he got it done with the Niners, but they also had one of the best defenses in recent history at the time. I mean, he got into the Super Bowl, but it was pretty much the defense. So I don't think he's doing that with the Raiders. Um, I I think. The Raiders might go with Levis um, if all of these other quarterbacks in front of them are gone. I think if Richardson was available, they might go with him. Just try to try to keep pace with Mahomes and hope he turns into a guy like that. But I I could see them liking Levis, a big a big guy, big frame who can throw the ball all over the field. Um, it could possibly, you know, I know we probably don't think too highly of him, but his ceiling could maybe keep up with the Chiefs at times on his best day. So I could see the Raiders taking a chance on that. The next to Marcus Russell. It just makes too much sense. A marriage yeah, made in heaven. All right. Next up, we got James with yeah, the Falcons. I was hoping he wouldn't go Levis because I think a, a very enticing trade would be Titans up into the top 10. And since I have Titans Falcons, I guess I get to make that pick for them. I, I might have tried to trade up and grab Levis because the Titans are definitely shopping for a quarterback at this point. I mean, I guess maybe you could think Malik Willis is about to turn it all around and, and be the guy, but. No signs of that last year, even towards the end of the season. Uh, however, in saying that, the Falcons now with number nine, tons of holes to fill. I I think with God, it's it's tough because they're just they're pretty bad on both sides of the ball, and I I don't think they have a very competent front office. Um, so like, I don't know if they're going to make the smart pick. I think they're going to go with the flashy pick here and probably go uh, Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech to try to get that big pass rusher uh, if he falls this low. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have Tyree really high. Uh, we talked about last week. We got cut off at the end, James. But I, I'm not a big fan of Tyree Wilson. But I think in terms of what we think they're going to do, I think that's very apt. You pair him with uh, Calais Campbell on the interior side of the defensive line, and that could be a pretty formidable start right at the beginning of this rebuild that the Falcons have going on. I have the ninth overall pick here for the Chicago Bears. This is probably my favorite match 
in terms of prospect and team. That's going Skronsky, the offensive tackle out of Northwestern. Feels like the Northwestern Wildcats just pump out NFL talent, but then also go one and 11 in the regular season. We don't talk about the one team that they actually beat. And I think that this is just super good for the Chicago Bears. They got an offensive weapon for DJ Moore uh, for Justin Fields, and now they get someone to protect Justin Fields and get Peter Skronsky. So, very short drive from Evanston to Chicago. I think this is a match made in heaven. All right. 10th overall, Zahn, last pick in our mock draft here that you have. Yeah. Eagles are. They're in a good position. I mean, they brought back a lot of the important players uh, that were on that Super Bowl team. They obviously lost a couple of the linebackers, stuff like that, but they brought back both their corners. So they could go corner. Um, I I could see um, Gonzalez out of Oregon being the guy there. Um, I could also – I was probably going to pick Skaronsky if he was there because he could play interior. And then when Lane Johnson's done in a couple of years, you could probably hope he, he comes and plays tackle. I'd probably go Gonzalez just because Bradbury's getting a little bit older. Um, I think they, I don't remember how many years they brought him back for, but it wasn't too many. So, and Darius Slay, I don't really know what's going on there. Like he was going to get released and then didn't, then he's back. I don't know. So I think they need a blue chip guy at the corner position. And I think Gonzalez is, is the guy after Witherspoon. Love that chip Kelly. Like, you know, get all the, get all the Oregon guys to the Eagles. Big fan. All right, James, last pick that you got here. Tennessee Titans, uh, 11th overall. I think I, I keep getting sniped here by Zahn. I, I think that's just kind of the element of like, there's only so many guys at elite positions and in the top, you know, 15 here. And, and like, once they're gone, they're gone. I, I think Sam Skronsky was still here. The, I mean, the Titans absolutely would be looking for a Taylor Lewan replacement. Um, I, I think when it comes down to it, I'm pretty high on Kalaj Kansi, but I, I don't know if, if necessarily that, you know, that, I don't know the Titans will have to know if, if that's what they need. Um, I, I think what they end up probably doing just positional relevance here. I, I'm thinking like a Joey Porter jr. Out of Penn state tentatively a top three corner depends on who you ask. I mean, top five to top three, but I, I think that's, it ends up being a corner here. They, they need to really shore up that defense. And I, mean, I don't know they had a rough season, but I, I think, you know, getting a, a, what they feel would be an elite corner is probably a, a pretty easy pick to do. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good marriage there. Just a good, really strong prospect, has a football family going to Tennessee. They need to have someone to replace Adoree Jackson. I think that's just really smart all the way around. Next and last, I have the Houston Texans here, team that I'm right next to all the way just right down the street from Energy Center. I think that the Texans just need best player available. They need as much talent as they possibly can get. But in particular, they really need wide receiver talent. If you look at their wide receiver room right now, which in our mock draft, we have Bryce Young as the quarterback here. It's just a bunch of nobodies. They're getting scraps from the Cowboys and Noah Brown. They have John Mechie, which like I like Mechie, but like, is he really going to come back super strong from all the stuff that he's been going through? That's kind of up in the air at this point, the former second and overall pick. So here I'm going with my number one wide receiver prospect, and I'm going Jackson Smith Najigba. It really feels like a lot of the question marks that have been surrounding JSN recently are really starting to disappear. A lot of his former players, a lot of his former peers and coaches have really been talking him up lately. And yeah, he had a shit 2022, but I feel like his 2021, it was elite and probably better than any other Ohio State wide receiver we've seen in a long time, which is pretty incredible stuff to say, given Terry McClure and Michael Thomas, et cetera, et cetera, that we've seen in the Buckeyes uniform. I think JSN makes a lot of sense in Houston, so I'm going there at 12th overall. Yeah, I'm with you. I think JSN is going, he's going to end up going way higher earlier. He like all the receivers were projecting out of the top 15. I think they're starting to sneak back up as more and more Zay Flowers love and JSN love is, is getting put out there. Yeah. All right. So let's go into our game here. Uh, I know we don't have a ton of time just because of the stupid podcast. So let's jump right into it. So essentially what we're doing here is going back and forth, guessing players and whoever can guess the most of this type of player is going to win, right? So we are guessing left-handed quarterbacks in the NFL. Why are we doing this? Because Zahn is left-handed, and he's one of the few left-handed people that I know. So whoever can't guess a left-handed quarterback first loses, and we're going to go back and forth. So James, 
you're going to go first. Name me a left-handed quarterback without I Googling. I appreciate getting to go first. I'm going to pick Tua. Yes, sir. Tua is one of them. Also, there's only been 33 in the history of the NFL, so you're it's it's slim pickings. <laughs> Are we going current? All time. All time. Oh, okay. Tebow. Correct. I, I, we're already getting to, you know, <laughs> getting down to the grind here. Um, I think I feel like there's a few pretty famous ones, but there are. I mean, there's there's some there's gotta be at least one Hall of Famer that's left here, right? Uh, yeah, there is. Okay. Just a couple. This is, this is rough. I'm trying to. There's some of these I'm like, damn, it's like tungsten armo Doyle. I don't know who the fuck any of these guys are, but yeah. some of them are legitimate. I, there's, I feel like there has to be one that's like right off the tip of my tongue here, but I'm just like I'm losing it. So if, if Zahn can get number two, I'll let him just take the lead here if he's got one ready yeah. to go. Zahn, you going for the for the? I list could be misremembering, but isn't wasn't Vic left-handed? He was left-handed. Oh. Vic, Vic was left-handed. Okay. Damn it. Okay. All right, James. Redemption time. Can you get one here? I I feel like like someone random, like a Tim Couch was, but I don't want to like you know, like sleep on that, but I'll, I'll go Tim couch here. Lefty. I don't think it's right. I'm checking. I'm checking. Nope. Tim couch was not. Damn. I'm sorry. So Zon, congratulations. I, Battle of the left handed. How, how many more lefties can you put out there? Yeah. Any others you can think of Zon? Was liner left handed? He was dude. You know, your lefties. I just remember watching him obviously against Texas. Um, I think that's all I got. Yeah, I, I was looking at this. I'm like, honestly, I would have gotten Tebow and Tua, and I would have been done. So you guys went way further than I was honestly expecting. Uh, looking at the list, Kellen Moore, lefty. Oh, I think the guy you were trying to think of, but just wrong era, James Pat White was lefty. Tyler oh. Palco, uh, Chris Sims, your guys on Texas legend. Um, Going further down the list, Mark Brunel was Todd Marinovich, uh, Steve Young. That was the Hall of Famer. Oh, okay. That's, I think that's the one I should have known. Yep. Yeah. Boomer Siason was a lefty. Ken Stabler. And then, yeah, you go further up the list and it's just a bunch of nobodies. But yeah, like not a lot of lefties in the NFL. So it's kind of crazy stuff. Next week for Sicko Mode, I'll make you take every single left handed center that you can name to, to yeah. see how long you can stick around. <laughs> I could tell you definitively any of them but i would give it my best guess so all right thanks for thanks for playing thanks for uh being on zon I, I hope you enjoyed your podcast debut even with the technical difficulties so um really appreciate you coming on and giving us your insights hey, no problem thanks for having me on guys i had a lot of fun yep. thank you and see you everybody